As we remain standing, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter number 11, I just want to read two verses, three verses here, and then we'll make our prayer and go into our service tonight. First Corinthians chapter number 11, verse number 24, when he had given thanks, he break it and said, take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me, verse 25. And after the same manner, he took the cup, also he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. God is saying in just a couple of verses here four very, very important things. He talked about his body. He talked about his blood. He talked about his death. And he talked about my coming back. All in those three verses, very, very important things to all of us who claim Christianity because all those are very important to us. And I want to talk to you about those things tonight. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the word of truth. It is not something, Lord, that can be debated, for you're always right. You're always truthful. We may misunderstand. We may even get confused because we do not understand fully your ways. So we would ask you even tonight that the Holy Ghost of God would lead and guide us in our thinking, in our emotions, in everything, that we might be brought closer to you. Bring some clarity. Clarity, please, dear Lord, to this thing we're doing tonight, this service we're going to be a part of, that those that have come from other religions perhaps, or out from in the world, or listen too much to social media, that we might clear up some misunderstandings they would have about this precious precious thing that is called the Lord's Supper. Help me to help your people tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to notice in verse number 24 and verse number 25, he said, in remembrance of me. That's what this whole thing's about tonight. Take every other thought on what this about, what does this mean, take it all away. The bottom line to this whole thing is, do this in remembrance of me. It's not about the wafer, it's not about the cup, it's not about the ceremony. All of that is just to help us visualize. All of that is just to help us. God knows us. That's why when he was talking to people, he said, do you see the field? Do you see this tree? Do you see the figs? Do you see? He's always helping us with the visual because for him to just speak of eternal things would leave us in the dust and he knew that same thing here folks there's nothing spooky about this at all okay we'll talk about that as we go on I want you to turn to Exodus chapter number 12 Exodus chapter number 12 Matthew Mark Luke Exodus chapter 12 just seeing if you plugged in tonight Exodus chapter number 12 it's called the Exodus for a reason because it marks and traces the exodus from Egypt to the promised land. Thus, it is called the exodus. I want you to notice in verse number 24 through verse number 27 of chapter number 12. Verse number 24 through verse number 27. The Bible says here in verse number 24, And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when ye become to the land 
when you become to the land which the Lord will give to you according as he had promised, that ye shall keep this service. He's talking about something in particular. Verse 26. It shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? Ye shall say, uh, you, yeah, that ye shall say, it is the sa sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed their head and worshipped the Lord. What was it that God wanted to remember? What was it that God wanted them to observe? What was it that he thought was so important? He said, I don't want your children to ever forget this. I want you to pass this memorial, this service, this thing we're getting ready to do to your children and their children forever. In verse number 27, he said, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. Now you do understand, I, I have to think of people, what I didn't know when I first came into Christianity. I, I didn't know what Passover meant. It's when the judgment angel of God passed over those that had the blood applied to their doors. He was looking for blood so they would not have to suffer judgment. You understand what I'm saying right now? So it's called the Passover night. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 and verse number 26, the Bible tells us we're not Jews, so therefore they had their Passover and we have our Passover. For example, he says here, you do show the Lord's death till he come. The Jews were to show the next generation and their generation the lamb, his death, what he went through. This whole memorial, every verse just about has something that reflects our Savior, our lamb, Jesus Christ. So here's what you have to understand. What is it they had to remember? Jesus. What is it we have to remember? Jesus. They weren't remembering an ox or a real lamb. They were looking forward to the lamb that was promised, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the, of the world. They were looking forward to. I don't understand why Christians today and people th see that so hard. They didn't know he would come. They didn't know that would be his. How can they look forward and trust in that? How many people in here have ever seen Jesus? Please don't raise your hand. No, you haven't. And so what happened is the same thing we do. We're out here in the future 2,000 plus years ago. We never seen him, but we trust him. Amen. So why is it so odd for those back here two or 3,000 years before that look forward and trust him? Yeah, come on. Why is it all of time goes back to the cross? It starts and ends at the cross. B.C. and A.D., it all has to do with the cross. It ends and begins right there. There's something special about that cross. You'll have to admit that even if you're an antichrist. You see, not only do we from time to time forget. He said, remember me. Not only from time to time do we forget, but here's the danger in all that. As we forget, we start to faint in our minds. We start getting a little weak about what we're supposed to be positive about and think about. So the Bible tells us, remember Christ. In Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 3, the Bible said, For consider him, yes. in other words, remember him, yeah. consider him that endured such great contradiction against himself, lest ye grow weary and faint in your mind. You know what he said? You remember me, it'll give you the strength you need. You won't feel like quitting when you remember what I went through for you. So Christ says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, remember me. What all this is about is to remember him. Turn to Exodus chapter 12. Look at verse number 1. Exodus 12 verse number 1. What God tells Israel to do. Thank you. Turn your phone off please. That would tell us. What is this? 
Watch what happens here. In verse number 2, look at verse number 2, chapter number 12, verse number 2. Speak ye unto the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month. Now, wait a minute. Time didn't start that month. Time did not start that day. They had already had time, and God said, Okay, today, with the bloodshed, with the lamb, with what I did for you, you ready? Watch this. going to be a brand new start for you. Are, are you listening? That's why for us in the New Testament it's called being born again. Brand new. Brand new day, brand new month. This is what bothers me when people go, I don't remember the day, the month, or necessarily the place, but I think I'm born again. I have doubts about people like that. How can the greatest thing that ever took place in anybody's life ever say, you know, I really don't remember something. I remember the day that the Lord saved me. All of heaven came down. I'm a quartet all by myself now. So what's going on here is, before this, Israel had begun their new year in the middle of September. Now understand, we're talking about their religious calendar. Their religious calendar had them starting their new year. Who in the world is the person that said, you know, let's start a new year at 12 o'clock in the middle of the night and in the coldest time of the year? But they used to start theirs in, in September. Now, right here, they're starting it in March. Springtime actually in the religious calendar for them started from March to the middle of April. Spring. It's really no wonder why we started this whole resurrection thing at this time of the year. Everything is blooming. Everything's coming back to life after a cold, dead winter. Yes, you follow me? And so now everything's springing forth and living again. It's almost like nature itself says, look at Christ. Look at Christ. The Bible says even nature itself, even the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being, ma- uh, being seen by the things that are made. A person has to be purposely blind or so caught up in themselves in this world. They, don't, they do not. Do you not see all the trees starting to bloom? Do you not see the flowers coming forth? Do you not see what's going on, how the weather's changing? Things coming back to life. This is what's meant by being born again. So this is what we're talking about. It's good to start the day, the year of our lives with the Lamb. Amen. The middle of March to the middle of April, springtime. Everything starts blooming. Everything starts, if you would, living again. Get rid of Mother Nature. She doesn't exist. There is no Mother Nature. There's Father God who made nature. That's the way it is. Israel must have been in a tremendous hurry to get out of Egypt. They've been there 400 and some years. They were anxious to get out of there. But God said, no matter how big of a hurry you are to get out of here, I want you this night to slay a lamb. I want you to stop right now, and I want you to pick out a lamb. You're getting ready to leave here, but this is something you absolutely have to do. I want you to observe the things I want you to observe. Sometimes we as Christians get way too busy, way too busy to pay attention to the observances that are going to keep us. Exodus chapter 12, look at verse number 3 and 4. Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the month, of this month, shall you take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his, his house take it according to the number of souls, every man according to Uh, To the eating shall make uh, your count for the lamb. God is simply saying, no matter how much of a hurry that you are in, I want you to stop and partake of this lamb. 
I want you to slay a lamb. I know you want to hurry and get out of here. I will know you want to go to the promised land. But in order to do that, I want you to understand this is the way we're going to get started. It gets started with being born again. You do not go to church and learn how to live for Christ not being saved. It all starts with being born again. In the Old Testament, it also started with the lamb. They could not get out of Egypt untouched by the death angel without the blood being applied to their life. Israel must have been in this tremendous hurry, but God said, you're going to stop. You're going to kill a lamb. Each family has to do this for themselves. I cannot, the lamb that I slay for me and my household will not do for you. You have to personally take a lamb for yourself. There's one lamb, Jesus Christ, for us. You personally must accept him as your Savior and have his blood applied to your life. This is the way that God planned. The lamb was to be set aside for four days. Now listen to me very carefully. The Catholics have had so much influence on it, we actually believe Jesus was set aside Friday morning, died by Friday night, rose again before Sunday. That doesn't even come close to two and a half days. The religious calendar, what they did, the Sabbath days are the way they counted days. They didn't start at 12 o'clock at night. They started from sundown. Even God did in the very beginning. The morning and the evening were the first day. The morning and the evening were the first day. And the morning and the evening were the first day. This is the way God kept time back then. And that's the way they did. The religious calendar took it from sundown to sundown. 24 hours. That's the way they kept time. And God said, even back then, I want you to take this lamb, and don't just hurry up and cut it and so get on about your life. He said, I want you to take this lamb and keep it up for four days. I want you to examine it for four days. Check it out. He said, from the 10th of that month to the 14th of that month, you set the lamb aside, and all I want you to do is watch it. If it's sick, any blemishes, anything broken, if it limps, if it has a, a broken ear, anything cannot be done. It has to be, if you would, if you would, perfect. Jesus is our perfect lamb. The Bible said there was no flaw, no spot, no blemish, no broken bone, no nothing. He was perfect in himself, and therefore he mimics what the Old Testament was there. Now he is our lamb in the New Testament. So what we find here is to Israel this was a religious ceremony acknowledging the goodness of God that he had preserved them and delivered them from Egypt and the plagues and the bondage and the judgment passing over Ladies and gentlemen, do you know where we ought to be if God allowed judgment to fall on us right now? Those of us that are saved, God is not looking for your goodness. God is looking for His Son's blood. You need to have it applied to your life just like they had to have the blood applied to their door. The death angel said, I was looking for the blood, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The reason that I can say I'll never go to hell and judgment will not be passed upon me, my judgment was passed upon Christ. Actually, yours was too. But until you accept Him as Savior and apply that blood to your life, you're going to hell. God did not want that. Look at verse number 8. Verse number 8, that same chapter. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roast with fire, unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs. Uh, I wanted to say something else here for Oh, okay, okay, okay. This is very important. They watched the lamb for four days. On that fourth evening before the sun went down, the lamb was slain. The lamb was slain. Now, I'm going to head somewhere. I, I, I'm not trying to throw anybody any curse. Somebody needs to educate you about this timeline, and I'm going to try to do that tonight. So in verse number 8 that we just read, the, slam, the, the slain lamb they were to eat, 
They were to eat, eat it roasted, unsodden with anything, with unleavened bread, no sweetness, no sugar, no salt, no nothing, just dough baked it. That was it. They were supposed to do that, and they were also supposed to put bitter herbs with that, and none of it was supposed to be left for the morning, not the, not the, not the bread, not any of that. All of it was supposed to be done. Anything that was left over was supposed to be burnt. Nothing to be left over. That shows the entire judgment upon Jesus Christ. Everything, the entire judgment upon Jesus Christ, that he was put to the test Bitter herbs, bitter, bitterness. I talked about that this morning about the cup, the bitterness that he had to put up with. And then also the entire, you don't take Christ piecemeal. You take Christ. You take all of him or nothing. You accept his entire life and his blood and what he did for you or you're not saved. You don't bargain with Jesus Christ. Well, I know I heard Moses say we had to do it this way, but you know, I got a better idea for my family. It doesn't work that way. Let God be true and every man a liar. The Bible wants also to understand that God was trying to teach him that he freed them. If he freed them, he could feed them. God can take care of you, my dear friend. You do not need to rely upon the world to do that. Before they ate the flesh of the lamb, they were to sprinkle the blood or put the blood on the doorpost and upon the lintel. Not the threshold. Very important, not the threshold. Nobody's going to walk or step upon or show disgrace to the blood of Christ. So they put it on the doorpost and they put it on the lintel. And so therefore, when the death angel comes by, that blood distinguished between the Egyptians who were unsaved and God's people who were saved. They weren't looking for good religious Jewish people. They weren't looking for super bad Egyptian people. He said, when I see the blood, that is the major thing right there. He's looking for the blood in your life also. Look at verse number 7. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two doorposts and upon the upper doorpost of the house wherein they shall eat it. Now understand something here. Jesus shed his blood. We're going to remember that tonight. Jesus shed his blood for you. Now, you listen to me carefully. It'll never be taken into consideration for salvation that you went to church. That you got baptized. Had nothing to do with it. You will not read that here in their example of the Passover lamb. You'll not read it in the New Testament. The Bible said the baptism is not the washing away the filth of the flesh. But it's to do good conscience towards God. You can't have a good conscience towards God if you're not saved and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so God wanted to show them the difference between the Egyptians and His people. Christ is our Passover and we are to remember Him. Number one, the Lamb of Exodus is typical of Christ, our Lamb in the New Testament. In other words... His type and shadow. This is what he was to them. This is what he did for them. This is their response to him. And the same thing here. The same thing here. That's why Jesus is called the lamb. You, you think it was an accident that they slew a lamb and shed his blood? And now, hey, you won't believe it. They called Jesus the lamb. God wanted us to know that. Old Testament, New Testament, same way of salvation. Same way of salvation. There's not different ways of salvation. Adam and Eve were not saved because of their innocence. They were saved by the blood that was shed. In conscience, it was the same way. And under the law, it's the same. They didn't keep the law to be saved because the Bible says in Romans, it, the law could not justify anybody. Why? Because only by the name of Jesus Christ can a man be saved. So you have to understand these things in the Bible. Christ is referred to as the Lamb. Christ is referred to as a Lamb. Christ is referred to in Revelation as the Lamb. 
There's a reason for all of that. The lamb in Exodus was to be a male of the first year. The lamb in Exodus, okay? In other words, they took the first year a lamb. A lamb. A little one. Just getting started. So evidently, those of you that are in your 30s, you're in the prime of life. Jesus died in the prime of life. Those of you in your 30s, you are in the prime of You're not an old man. And by the way, when Herod sent out to kill all the babies, understand, God said he'll die in the prime of life. The prime of life, he died at 33, 33 and a half years old, right around there. Please understand, he didn't die when Herod said, we're going to kill all the babies. He couldn't have been Jesus if that would have happened. So we come to find out here, all these wonderful things are going on. It was to be without blemish, denoting the purity of the offering. Jesus, who also had no flaws, he was perfect. 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 19. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So we see in the Old Testament, their lamb, their little lamb, had to be without spot, without blemish. Nothing could be wrong with it. Our lamb or New Testament lamb could not have spot or blemish. Nothing, nothing. Had to be in the prime of life. Their lamb had to be in the first year prime of life. Are you getting this? Are you seeing the same thing? This is nothing new. Jesus, all of this did not happen 2,000 years ago on the cross. That's when it was finalized. That's when it came to fruition. The Bible said Jesus died at the end of the world. Huh, I guess we're at the end of the world. Understand here, he was to be set aside for four days. Here we go again. Four days before before crucifixion. The same day, the same month, the Lamb of the Old Testament died. The Passover night in the Old Testament was the same night that Jesus died in the New Testament. Now, listen to me carefully. I I apologize for your um, um, TV understanding of the death, burial, and resurrection and the timeline here. Jesus was set aside for four days just like the lamb in the Old Testament. In order to match that, he had to match everything that was going on. The Bible said he was set aside for four days. Jesus was taken on Saturday evening the week before. Please remember, a day went from sundown to sundown, sundown to sundown, not Monday to Tuesday and Tuesday and any time. People will tell you today, any part of a day is a day. That's not true. Okay, then I'm only going to work one part, one hour per that day and it's the whole day. That's not the way it works. So you find out here, if you go forward, four whole days. Saturday evening, sundown. He was in the garden. Sunday, sundown. Monday, sundown. Tuesday, sundown. And before Wednesday, sundown, which started another day, he was set aside. Before Herod, before Pilate, before the Roman soldiers, he was examined. And guess what every one of them said? I find no fault in him. Even the lost people verified he's a perfect guy. I can't figure I don't know what you people are upset about. There's nothing wrong with him. Then on Wednesday, before the sun went down, he was crucified. Not Friday. There's, no, there's nothing good about Friday. Brother Celier even wondered, what in the world is a Maudie Thursday? Now we're just making stuff up. You said, preacher, you're coming close to blaspheming. You don't blaspheme false stuff. So what happened here is simply this. Christ was crucified on Wednesday before the sun went down. That particular year was the, um, that particular week was the yearly sacrifice, not the weekend Friday to Saturday. 
I've studied this out a lot. Dead and buried and rose again the first day of the week. The first day of the week is not Monday. First day of the week is Sunday. Amen. So we come to find out, ready? Wednesday to Thursday, right? Thursday at, at sundown in the evening. Thursday sundown to Friday. Friday to Saturday, that goes till sundown that evening. That evening starts Sunday, right? I'll talk to you all day about this. It's very interesting. You come to find out because the Bible said very early the first day of the week. The first day of the week starts at sundown on Saturday evening. He said, preacher, is something you made up? R.A. Torrey believed this. I believe Jerry Falwell believed this. But see, it's hard to go against the normalcy of the religious crowd. They just won't believe it. Truth is what sets you free, not the local crowd. It was to be roasted with fire. We already talked about that. It was to be killed by the whole congregation. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. We are all guilty. We are all in need of the blood. We are all guilty. Your children are guilty. Your wife is guilty. Your grandmother is guilty. The preacher is guilty. All mankind is guilty before God. All of us need the Lamb of God is what we need. Christ suffered, uh, uh, the Bible says, at the end of the world, Hebrews 9, 26. By the hand of the Jews, the whole multitude, Luke chapter 23, verse number 18. Not a bone was to be broken, Exodus chapter 12, 46. And the same thing with Jesus Christ in the New Testament in John 19, 33 and 36. Not a bone, not a bone. You do understand on the crucifixion day, if they did not die before the sun went down, which happened to be when. Wednesday afternoon, they went by and they would break the two thieves' legs so they would hang and suffocate a lot quicker. You know, they, we got to hurry and get to church. Want to be guilty of doing anything wrong here when they were crucifying an innocent man called Jesus Christ. They went to Jesus and they were getting ready to break his legs. Hold it, hold it. The Old Testament said not a bone his body be broken. By the time they got there, they said he's already dead and the Roman soldier put a spear in his heart. Just in case. Because we've got to hurry and get to church. Got to hurry and get to the temple to hear the priest talk about God. Hypocrite. Hypocrite. So what happens here is simply this. The blood applied was the means. Uh, hold on, hold on. Okay, okay. The blood applied was to be a memorial. A memorial is something that took place you need to remember on a regular basis. He said, Preacher, why do we only do this twice? No place in the Bible does it tell us how often to do this. It just says, as oft as you do this. Here's your, here's your reason. Do it in remembrance of me. God told Israel in verse number 14 of Exodus chapter 12, this is a memorial. He tells us that we need to remember these things. You see the type and shadow? You see the likeness here between the Old Testament and New Testament? You know why? This lamb pointed towards our lamb. We go forward here and we point at that lamb. There's only one lamb of God. Those others were simply bloodshed to stay their sin for another year. Every year they had to come back and give another animal. Every year they had to come back and get another lamb. Every year they had to come back. You can't get saved over and over again. Once and for all, for all sin, Jesus died for us. Why would God have to tell us to remember this? Well, fellas, let me tell you. Why does God have to tell us to love your wives? We just get caught up in stuff and forget. 
So God said, husbands, love your wives. Jesus said, as he's getting ready to go away, remember me. I'm after all he did, yeah, okay, listen, remember me. Amen. Don't forget me. Amen. How can you forget to love your wife? You get caught up in work, you get caught up in yourself, you get caught up in church, you get caught up in all kinds of things, and you actually forget, other than God, she is the closest thing to you, or should be. In the garden, Adam had God first. He didn't have business and children next. He had his wife. Then his children. You don't rearrange that just because somebody new shows up. What are we as Christians to remember? When we partake of this unleavened bread in this cup, what are we supposed to remember? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Now you said, wait a minute, I thought his body wasn't broken. He doesn't mean bone broken. His whole life was broken. Like when a woman says, the car's broke. You mean it's in two pieces? God was simply saying, don't forget what my flesh went through for you. You do remember what his flesh went through, right? I'm going to remind you here in just a moment. Please go to, why, why, stay there for a minute, but watch. Go to, go to Psalm chapter 22 real quick. I want to read you a couple of things. Psalm 22. Psalm 22, look at verse number 1. We know who this is talking about, right? This is called a prophetical psalm. It is talking, it's prophesying something future. And now we're going to find out exactly who this is talking about. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me from the, from, from the words of my roaring? Now we know this is Jesus Christ. This is a prophetical saying. Jesus wasn't alive during this time on this earth. The psalmist was talking about something future. And he happened to exactly quote what Jesus said. That's how exact your Bible is. So this thing about, I don't know, I don't know. You tell me anybody that can quote the future to the details that God's Bible does about his son and end time events, and I'll change religions. I'll change my belief. You can't do it. Nobody fits the scenario and the truth that God talked about with his son like the Bible does. It even says that when the time comes, he is going to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In the New Testament, when he's hanging on the cross, he actually says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Hundreds and hundreds of years later, same thing. Lamb Old Testament, Lamb in the New Testament. Our Savior for us, ours, I'm, I'm talking about all of mankind, not just the Jews. Look at verse number, same, same chapter, verse number 6. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip and shake their head saying, He trusted the Lord. You remember when he's on the cross? If you're the son of man, come down off there. Prophesied. If that's who you are, just come on. It's already prophesied. And by the way, if Jesus got himself off the cross, you couldn't have been saved. So he said, save yourself and save us. He couldn't do both. The only way he could do that was to die. 
to save you, to save us. So we find out here in verse number 7, they all look at me, they laugh at me to scorn. Verse number 8, he trusted on the Lord that he would let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. The New Testament bears that same thing out if you know anything about your Bible. Drop down to verse number 13. They gape upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Think how painful that is. My heart is like wax. It melteth in the midst of my bowels. Jesus was suffocating in his own bodily fluids. That's what crucifixion did. And then they stabbed him in the side just to make sure. And the Bible said blood and water come out of his body at that time. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And uh, thou hast brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, surrounded me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell my bones. Uh, they look and they stare at me. They part my garments among them. All of this is talked about when Jesus was dying. Every bit of this was talked about. So the Lamb of the Old Testament identifies with our Lamb of the New Testament. That's what I want you to see. And he goes on from there. Go to Isaiah chapter number 53. Very next, another book or two forward. Look at verse number 3. Isaiah 53.3. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. This is what we're supposed to be remembering. The reason I'm bringing all this up, only thing I'm talking about right now is his body, what his body went through. And that's what this little wafer, believe it or not, is all about, is to remember not what it tastes like, what it doesn't taste like, what this is all about. It's about him. Remember me. And this happens to be about my body. I want you to remember my body, what it went through for you. Please don't forget the suffering that I went through for you that are saved. Watch what he says in verse number four. Surely he hath borne our grief, carried our sorrows, we, yet, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgression. He was, you want to know why he went through all this? He's telling you right here. He's telling you, he said, this is the reason I, I was wounded for your transgressions. I was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of your peace, when you get saved, that great peace that comes in, Jesus said, I did that for you. I suffered so you could have peace. Watch what else he says. We all like sheep have gone astray. Romans chapter 3 talks about that. We have turned everyone his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, to the slaughter, to the slaughter, to the slaughter. Not somebody's home where they love little animals. To the slaughter. As a lamb to the slaughter. And as sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus didn't argue the fact because this was the reason he came. He came to suffer, to bleed, and die for you. Remember me. Remember me. He was taken out of prison in judgment, and who shall declare his generation? I'm in verse 8. For he was cut off of the land of the living, and the transgression of his people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked. People who died were buried in that way, died in a certain place where wicked people go. But there was a guy by the name of Joseph Arimathea, a rich man. Watch what it says next. And with the rich in his death... Because he had done no violence, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. 
when he, should, when he shall make uh, his soul an offering for sin, an offering for God Almighty made his son an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. Are you kidding me? God Almighty saw what he went through and was satisfied? Not with that part of it. Other than he was doing the Father's will. Watch what he says. Travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their... That's what God was pleased with right there. That which was lost, God created man to fellowship with him. Adam and Eve stopped all of that. Jesus came along and said, let me bridge this gap. By my Father's will, that's what I'm going to do. But it's going to hurt me awful bad. Actually, it's going to kill me. But for you, I will do this. How could we possibly forget that? Look. I'll tell you exactly how. We get caught up in business. We get caught up in our world. We get caught up in our house. We get caught up in our love life. We get caught up in our children. We get caught up in anything and everything. And it floods our minds and causes us to forget. That's what church helps you to do. That's what Bible reading helps you to do. That's what prayer helps you to do. Remind you of Him. And God said, okay, all of that aside, let's do this. And you remember me on purpose. As often as you do, I want you to remember me. What I went through for you, remember me. Go to Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew 26, look at verse number 67. Matthew 26, 67. Right now we're talking about his body. Of course, the abuse of his body brought about the spilling out of his blood. Needless to say, but it needs to be said. Watch what he says in verse number 67. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him. Isn't that a kind word, buffeted? Buffeted mean they blacked his eyes. Look it up. It's what it means. They didn't buffet him. They blacked his eyes. Your Savior. He said, I want you to remember what. Oh, I don't like thinking about it. God said, no, please think about this. Remember it. Don't, don't let it be forgotten. So watch what he says here. They buffed him, and others smote him with the palm of his hand, saying, Prophesy uh, to, unto us, thou Christ, who, who it is that smote thee. Okay, you, you, you're God. Tell us who did this to you. So they blindfolded, and they slapped him, and they punched him. Your Savior. Your Savior, that when you partake of this wafer, he said, Remember me. Remember, not just my name. Remember what I did for you. Remember my flesh and what it did for you. Go down to chapter 27, verse number 26. 27, 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged him. Do you know what that is? In my office, somebody made me a cat of nine tails. I know they're real professional ones made up. I don't have one of those. I have a crown of thorns. I also have a club, which they beat the crown of thorns into his head with a club once they put it on him. And they didn't do this. These were Roman soldiers, professional fighting, killing machines. That's what they did for a living. That was their living. And the whole soldier band, read the account, the whole soldier band punched him, laughed at him, spit in his face, put a crown of thorns on his head, took a club and beat him in the head, stripped him of his clothes, embarrassed him to no end. If you knew how God felt about nakedness, you'd understand the full weight of what I just said or what God just said. 
Go to verse number 27. Look at verse 27, same chapter. Chapter number 27 and verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the... What's he doing in a common hall, period? Let's just stop right there. What is he doing in a common hall? Your Savior. He said, please don't forget this. Please remember me. Remember what I did for you. Watch what he says. And gathering in the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed that they're mocking him. They're mocking him. And mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They're making fun of your Savior. He said, don't, I don't want you to forget this, what they did to me. Verse 30. They spit upon him. I believe this is the second time. They took a reed and they smote him in the head. And after they had mocked him, they took a robe off of him and put on his own robe and led him away to be crucified. Crucifixion hadn't even taken place yet. That scourging was with a cat of nine tails. And according to the law, you could give 40 stripes save one. We don't want to break the law here, so we'll cut it short at 39. Well, each lash, if you would, had nine with it. It was called a cat of nine tails. One cat, nine tails. They could actually whip a man, and many times they would rip him in two. Because I want you to forget this. Why would a man do that? For you. For me. That was his motive. Do the will of the Father, save mankind. Your Savior. That's what this is for. There's nothing in, the, in, the, in, this, in these things here. They're just objects to bring about focus, a visual, if you would. But what can be more visual than the Word of God? Right. Right. Let your mind quit defending the way you feel about things Amen. and rush to what he possibly went through. As the disciples ate supper with Jesus for the last time, a, a regular supper, he told them of his death. He told him it was imminent. He stood and instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. On the Passover week, they ate supper together. During that time, Jesus stood up on that night and said, what we're going to do tonight. That was the first time it was ever done. Jesus instituted that. And he said, remember me. 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 25. Go there, please. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25. When he talks about the cup, he's talking about his blood. When he's talking about the wafer or the bread, he's talking about his physical body. He calls it his flesh. In verse 25, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. You say, well, what does that mean, New Testament in my blood? There was a New Testament. When a person dies, if they, if they do things right, you should have a will and testament. That testament holds no power at all until your death. Everything you read about, all the promises and everything of the New Testament has no value, no promise at all if Jesus had not rose from the dead. But because he died, was buried, and rose again, it has power. The power to save, the power to change a life, the power to take a man from being a child of hell to being a child of God. The New Testament tells us how that happens. But up until that time, it had no power at all. So we find out here in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, 25, the cup is the New Testament in my blood. 
His blood says that now has power because my blood was shed. Because of his shed blood, we have remission of sins. Our sins are remitted, forgiven, taken away. Think about that. Jesus said to the whole world, the murderer, you name, name the person. Name, name any sin you want to name. Jesus said, I already thought about that. Thought about everybody on every level for anything. For God so loved the world that he gave himself for us. We have fellowship with God Almighty. Who would ever think that was possible, right? God Almighty. God Almighty. God, the only God Almighty. We can come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and grace to help in a time of need. Just because of what Jesus did. Because of what he did. His body and his blood because of what he did. We have eternal life. And that's not an arrogant talk. I am saved forever and going to go to heaven because of what Jesus did. And when I think about this tonight, how can you not praise God? How can tears not flow from your eyes? When you think about what he did, how can you raise your head and go, yeah, that's what he did for me. Pride and arrogancy is stopping us from appreciating what God really did. We have peace with God and the peace with God and peace of God. We have the right to claim the promises of God's word because we're his children. The world can claim all they want to. God doesn't have to honor that. The universal will of God, yes, but the personal will doesn't have to do that. We've escaped death, hell, and judgment, just like they did in the Old Testament because of the blood. We have a home in heaven. Brother, I'll tell you right now, I've blown it so many times. I'm like the prodigal son. Seriously. And you know what the father did? He just waits. Come on. Let's learn again. I died for you. I'm not giving up on you. I gave my life for you. Why would I turn my back on you now? I love what Peter talked about there in Judges the other day. I never thought about it. Honestly, I didn't. Forgive me for saying this. But he talked about that constant revolving circle, you know. And he said the most important part of this circle is God saying, come on back. Come on back. Don't we cut people short? I wouldn't make any difference to me if they never come back to yours again. Really? Really? You really like a Christ, aren't you? You're saved, but you're not a Christian, right? Is that right? Shame on us. Shame on us. This ought to humble us down. This ought to bring us back to a reality. This, this brings me back to 51 years ago, April the 15th, which is coming up, right? 51 years ago as a 20-year-old. I couldn't believe he talked to me in my head and in my heart. My heart was breaking and tears uncontrollably falling from my eyes. I couldn't believe. Who's talking to me in my head? Who's, who's moving in my head? Who's doing that? The devil tried to present lies to me even at that time. And finally, God with his help said, that's a lie. The world doesn't care about you. Look at the mess you're in. And by the way, those of you that are big business people and got lots of money coming in, you think because you're not a dope head and running around hurting people that you're better off? I didn't know Christ and you don't either. We have become and have the right to call, be called the children of God. Who would ever thought of such a thing? Jesus told his disciples, when you drink this cup and when you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Look at verse 26. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He come. You do show the Lord's death till He comes. You do show the Lord's death till He comes. His death, He's coming back. I think you call that resurrection from the dead, if I'm not mistaken. And He's coming back. Today, many churches have put way too much emphasis on the ordinance and on the articles or on the tradition and have forgotten why we're doing this tonight. And that is simply this reason, to remember Him. To remember Him. We're not here to feel sorry for ourselves tonight. We're not here to think of our sadness and how much we're going through. It has nothing to do. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. That's what we need to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 to 32. We're supposed to remember Him, not it. We're not supposed to remember things or even us, but Him, the Bible says. The unleavened bread is not what's important. It only acts as a reminder. As you chew it, you'll find out that if it's what it's supposed to be, hopefully. It, it ha- it's tasteless. Do you remember in Isaiah where he said he grew up as a tender plant out of dry ground? He said he had no beauty that we should behold him. But what's the picture say? Look at that beautiful man. He wasn't a beautiful man. He's just an everyday kind of guy. His hair wasn't done up in clairol curlers and, you know, he just walked around like this in a white robe. Catholics have made you think that way. There's no Bible for that stuff. He was a common, hardworking, everyday man who was preparing to give his life for sinners. It's to remind us as you chew this and crunch the life how Jesus gave himself into what we call the jaws of death. And it just crushed the life right out of him. The cup is not what's important. It only helps us to visualize and to focus on how Christ was poured out and wasted. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. With all of that in mind, first of all, if you're a born-again Christian, Jesus invites you, please, let's partake of this supper. Every one of us should willingly and rightfully be able to do this. But I find there's a warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse number 26. Verse 26, for as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Verse 27, wherefore, or because of that, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. Unworthily by definition, by definition means irreverently or unfit. Christians living in open sin and not caring about the Lord until tonight, you're unfit. Whoever's unsaved is unfit. And this is what he says. He said, is, is, uh, verse 27, Whosoever therefore shall eat this bread or drink the cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of Christ. But let a man examine himself. I'm not here to pass judgment on you. God is saying, look, before we go into the supper, I want you to examine yourself if you're worthy. He didn't say perfect. He didn't say sinless. He said unworthy. If you're unworthy, don't do this. Unfit, not ready, not thinking, not setting him aside as this being something special. So watch what he says. Let, no, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat that bread and drink that cup. Verse 29. For he that drinketh, eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation. Judgment. You're passing judgment on yourself. 
This, folks, listen, this is not something neat. Oh, I've never done this before. Let's try this. This is serious business. Jesus gave his life. God's only begotten son gave his life and suffered like no other man and then took upon him that cup I talked about this morning and drank the whole thing so you and I could be forgiven. And oh, this is going to be neat. Wonder what that tastes like. You're not thinking, no, don't do that. Please don't do that. Don't bring it down to something so common as drinking orange juice and eating a wafer. That doesn't taste very good. That's not what this is about. Drink the damnation to himself, not discerning. You're not separating your thoughts and your life because of this. This is why I plan this service to be different than any other service we do. The Lord's body. For this cause, because a person is eating and drinking damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body, verse 30. For this cause, many are weak. That means feeble in any sense. Any sense. Strengthless. I just can't go on. and I, I don't know how to do that. God said, what is wrong with you? I died and took all this for you. Why are you so feeble and weak? Could it be? Could it be? Now, the first thing that happens, everybody's got some kind of ailment wants to come up and tell me, Preacher, I want you to understand I'm really living for the... I got it. Bible said, let a man examine himself. Yes. Watch what he says. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Weak and sickly means infirmed and have health problems. Take that for whatever you think it means. And he said, many do sleep. He's not talking about you're tired, sleepy. Sleep here means died. A lot of people die prematurely. Be careful it wasn't your time. When a person commits suicide, it wasn't their time. It's appointed on the man who wants to die. You take your own life, you are taking something that does not belong to you. You are rushing a timeline that God already had planned. And the same thing here. He said, and many do sleep. And sleep here means to put to death, be deceased, dead, dead, not sleep dead. Sounds like serious business. It is your Savior and what he went through. You see, this does not have to, this does not save what we're doing tonight, nor does it forgive sin. It does not save, nor does it forgive sin. The Catholics call it transubstantiation. This was adopted in 1215. That is about almost 1,500 years after Jesus died. What did they do all that time before that? you know what that word even means, transubstantiation? They actually tell you the bread and the wine are actually changed into the blood and the flesh of Christ. As soon as it touches your tongue, as soon as you drink it, you're drinking blood and you're eating a portion of his flesh. Dare I take you to the verses in the Bible that talks about cannibalism and drinking blood and how God is against that? Why all of a sudden would he say, oh, except for me and it's okay? He's not talking about this. You will not, I promise you tonight will not be eating a piece of flesh and you're not drinking wine, period. In the Lord's Supper, it doesn't talk about wine at all. It talks about the cup. Well, what do you think it is? I think God knew how people in the end times would think of that Christians, it's okay to drink. Look at me. It's not okay to drink. Not conservatively, not teetotalingly. Not, well, I take the edge off. How about going on your knees and praying? How about reading How about coming to church and taking the edge off? You're just trying to fit into the world because you don't want to be identified with Christ as being different than other people. The Lutherans call it consubstantiation. 
You know what they say? This is really spooky too. They're saying when you take the Lord's Supper that actually what's happening here is, is Christ is present in, around, and under. Ooh. That makes the priest in the Lutheran church something special, doesn't it? That makes the Catholic when he prays. But that makes him really something special, doesn't it? I'm nobody special at all. Even Jesus said, I don't make myself any reputation. Oh, but those priests do, don't they? You say you pick it on Catholics? No, not them, but what they teach and believe. The Bible and true Baptists believe this about what we're getting ready to do. It's a view of grace, of the shedding of blood. It is a, rem- a memorial of Jesus Christ and what he did. That's all. That's what we're getting ready to do tonight. Because of the warning here, this is what I normally do. Listen very carefully. At any given time, you can stray, fall into sin, not care anymore. Your mind's on whatever right now. I'm begging you right now. Nobody's looking. We all bow our heads right now. And he said, let a man.